and welcome to episode 56 of the 1099 for the week of August 22nd, 2016. I'm your host, as always, Josiah Renaudin, and with me today is a reporter at ESPN, currently covering esports and the WWE, Jacob Wolf. Jacob, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I mean, last time we talked feels like... I was about to say it feels like a year ago, but it might actually be like a year ago. I'm were, pretty sure it was actually a year ago. It might so. be like just a year ago, so my sense of time is better than I thought. Uh, last time we talked, you were at the Daily Dot, and now ESPN, you're at the big leagues. I mean, how's that been going? What's that been like? Uh, it's been pretty hectic, but really good. So the hectic part is basically like I had to move halfway across the country again, uh, which is something I had to do when I became full-time at the Daily Dot. Mm. Um, so doing it again was a lot. Um but, you know, I'm all settled in Connecticut now. I've been here since May. And, uh, yeah, it's been great being able to work on campus with everyone with, like, the 3,000 employees that we have in Bristol. Uh, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty insane. Uh, and being able to work work with everybody in person is pretty great. So I'm very happy with that. I'm glad I made the transition and made the move. How did that materialize? Because, like, I was it, like, a job call that was on Twitter was one of those things where they saw the work you were doing, they wanted to get in this space, and they reached out to you personally saying, like, we want to bring you on board. So, yeah, I was I was at the Daily Dot, and um, at some point I had, I had become a little unhappy with, like, what I was doing. Uh, I was doing a lot of different stuff, video production, graphic mm-hmm. design, uh, reporting was obviously the main focus. Um, and it was just a lot, and I felt kind of overwhelmed in life, uh, and so I kind of, like, looked elsewhere and started talking to certain people. Um, and then I decided, you know, just stick it out and see what comes along. And about a month after I had decided that, um, I basically was contacted by Darren Klinsky, who is my current boss. Uh, and him and I had been really good friends. And Tyler, their other uh, writer at ESPN, my colleague, um, I was also very good friends with him. Uh, and before I knew it, it all kind of, you know, all kind of worked out. I talked to them more. I got to know more people at ESPN, all my various different bosses. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was something that we, we both saw to eye to eye. They wanted me here and I wanted to be there and it worked out. When you're so. making a move like that, like you said, you had just made a big move from, uh, like, you know, when you did Daily Dot. Uh, now you're moving back to ESPN, like moving to ESPN. What sort of like, certainties and assurances did you need to make a move like that because again this is like a newer sort of focus for espn going this deep into esports i mean what what was that conversation like to make sure like this isn't just a fly-by-night short thing we'll see how it goes this is a real devotion this is a real effort to maintain this coverage moving forward well, the beautiful part about ESPN um, is that there's an entire department uh, that I work in called content development, and we cover a little bit of uh, everything here and there. So uh, the recent WWE launch was under the same under the same brand, and uh, it, MMA is under it, and a bunch of other different outlets. And it's something esports was something they committed to pretty hard, um, and something they wanted to see succeed at ESPN. Um, so it was really nice to kind of meet everyone else that a lot of people don't get to see, uh, get to see like all the time. You like on Twitter, you'll see Tyler, you'll see myself, you'll see Rachel, you'll see Christina and you'll see Darren, uh, which is like our core five of esports. But there's a lot of other people that, that do work, uh, with us and kind of help out the esports department. Uh, Pierre Baquet is kind of our, our fearless leader. Um, he is the deputy editor for fantasy, uh, like, fantasy sports so like football baseball etc uh he is the deputy editor for fantasy and for esports um so he's above all of us and it was great to get to meet him and uh you know i get to see him every day now um 
but also like uh, Andrew Feldman, who is um, our head editor, deputy editor for WWE and MMA and a few other things. He helps out a lot as well. And it was really great to see. Um, it was really great to see all these people that I was unfamiliar with uh, very into the esports stream. And I think that's the coolest part of working at ESPN at the moment for me is that uh, all the time I have people from various parts of the company reach out and they want to know more about esports or they'll reach out to Darren. Darren will put them in contact with me. Like there's there's always – there's all this time that, you know, it's it's genuine interest. And that's how I, I felt about uh, coming and talking to a lot of them uh, or a lot of the people I work with now and um, – there was so much genuine interest and then, you know, they were hiring the right people like Darren and Tyler, uh, and then eventually Rachel and Christina, obviously, uh, that had esports backgrounds, uh, whether it be LOL esports or Azubu or, um, you know, the score, which is where Tyler was before, before he joined ESPN. So it was really great to see that people that were genuinely interested in esports were hiring the people that they thought would best, uh, would do the best job. And it was nice to be a part of that. So yeah, I think hiring the right people is critical here because when you get into these more niche or different sort of, you know, sports, like I'm a big MMA fan. And I think what's important is when you hire someone at ESPN to cover MMA, you need to make sure they know that thing front and back. They need to make sure that, you know, they are really passionate about it and understand it. And when, I saw they hired you. I mean, I'm outside of the of the esports bubble. Like when I first talked to you and Dylan a while ago, that was kind of my introduction into it. But from a distance, uh, in terms of reporting, in my mind, you were the the Adam Schefter of esports in a way where I feel like when stories were breaking, you were the person breaking them. When uh, like the big news was happening, I would usually check your Twitter account just to get an idea of like, all right, like what's going on here. So I mean, has reporting been? your focus there is that you mentioned at daily dot you were doing a lot of things and the focus was kind of you wanted to be a reporter because that's what you're passionate about that's what you're good at so has reporting been the focus or have you also been contributing in other ways uh yeah it's been pretty much strictly reporting uh i've here and there done a few like small graphics or whatever for like presentations but no it's it's like every day my my good old eight hours a day is is reporting uh and i'm perfectly okay with that it's a lot uh, it's a lot less in terms of, uh, I wouldn't say it's, it's a lot more focused than my workload, I guess is the best way to say. Cause at Daily Dot, it was, it was video production, it was graphic design, it was reporting, it was all this various different stuff, uh, which is fine. I, I'm very fluent in all of them and could do a good job. But, uh, I would, like, here, it's literally figure out what, what's going on, like, talk to the people required to get the, the proper, like, you know, figure out what the news is, figure out what the facts is. Uh, make my judgment is, you know, is this worthy to write? And, uh, yeah, basically just pursue that. And then everybody else handles everything else. I don't touch graphics. I don't touch video. Maybe I'll make a suggestion here or there, but I don't, I don't do any of that anymore. At least not, yeah, like I, I don't do it. That's not my role. Uh, it's not expected to me either. It's literally find the news, write the news, uh, you know, do the interviews when you're at events, do, Features on people that you, you know, would, you think would go well and that the audience would want to hear about. And yeah, you create the stories and you find the stories when there's, when it's news. And it's, uh, it's pretty great. It's a lot more focused workload and allows me to do a lot more. So how did you build that treasure trove of sources you have? Because a lot of gaming news. So if you look at a lot of like smaller sites outside of IGN, GameSpot, Kotaku and stuff like that, a lot of the news is built off of press releases and what other people have done. You look at uh, Kotaku is great at finding original stories, breaking things, finding things before anyone else does because they have those references. They have those sources. They have those people they can talk to. Uh, very often off the record and a lot of times when you're applying for those reporting jobs or you're applying for 
a job at uh, Giant Bomb. There's in the actual kind of application process, they ask, they have that uh, qualification of you need to have kind of a good standing and sources in the industry because, of course, they want to be a leader in breaking stuff like that. So, you know, at a young age, like, what were you able to do to gain the trust, the respect of these people that they will come to you first when they hear something uh, and they hear something very concrete? I think uh, I think the one part that a lot of people in esports overlook, and I'm sure uh, gaming journalists have kind of the similar idea, but it's really important to be friends with these people uh, and just be friends with anyone. Um you never know. I was actually watching a, a WWE interview with JBL and uh, with Sting, um, the really like WCW TNA, uh, and then later WWE legend. Uh, one thing that he said in the interview was, um, "You never know who you're going to be working for." Uh, and I think, I think that's like a pretty good mindset. It's not my exact mindset, but I, his point was, you know, never treat anyone like they're second class. Never treat anyone like they're, you know. That they're lower than you or, you know, never be so prideful that you can't have conversation with someone else and become their friend. Uh, don't act like that because you never know where they're going to be. And imagine if you treat somebody like crap and then, you know, later they become someone they're not going to ever want to be affiliated with you ever. Uh, so it's very important to uh, treat everyone with respect. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people uh, don't understand. And I know a lot of esports journalists and this, like, no knack to them. Like, I... You know, I have have plenty of friends that work at other sites and everything, and but the basis of it is you have to be extroverted and you have to meet everyone and you have to be their friend. Uh, you have to treat them with respect. You have to not push their boundaries if they're uncomfortable with something. Don't don't press it. Like if yeah. they're uncomfortable with telling you something, don't press that. Um, and give them time. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just all about being friends and a lot of. A lot of that is uh, it's very important, and help them out when you can. I think that's another big thing. Like help other people out when you can. Um, it's not like I'm actively trading uh, trading information for like help, but there there are times when you know people that I can help out uh, in a- anything really. Uh, if I can be their friends, it's mutually beneficial on both ends that uh, they can help me, I can help them, kind of thing. So I think it's very important to have that kind of respect and. Um, have that respect and kind of friendly or friendliness uh, to other people. And uh, from the very moment I got into esports, that was something I just did all the time. As I was, I actively went out and tried to make friends or make friends. And uh, I would say that everyone that gives me information is my friend. Uh, I would not. Yeah, I, I don't think that's untrue for anyone, actually. So it's a weird balance. Uh, it's always something that. Um networking and like you said becoming friends or at least becoming friendly with people is extremely critical but it's also weird when uh when i was like a lot of people ask me for advice on how to write for a game spot or ign or something like that and i always say like hey make contacts talk to people but there's the balance between like being friendly and you don't want to come off as like oh i'm just talking to this person because i know they could help me in the future you have to have that balance in your head and i was listening to a podcast i was talking about zach lowe who works at espn uh he's an nba writer and how instead Mm -hmm. of going directly to you know when he's first starting out like go talk to the coaches and everything like that it's like no go talk to the assistants go talk to the people on the bench at these summer league events and stuff like that because those are the people that down the line maybe they get promoted to being a head assistant and eventually being a head coach and now you've established that kind of foundational relationship with them so of course it's important to be able to talk to the you know tom thibodeau level the greg popovich level of someone where they have that direct control over the team but when you start at a lower level 
you talk to these people, you don't know where they're going to end up. When I talked to um, Corey Davis, who had uh, made Spec Ops The Line and was working on a, another game at the time in 2013, I had no idea. You know, I got to like him. We got to be friends. I had no idea that three years later he would hire me to work for, you know, his his company and, you know, work with Sony Santa Monica. It was, it, it, I agree, you have to be friendly in a way that, you know, you, you, you get to know these people and maybe down the line they can help you if you're a reporter you can get those scoops before anyone else does because you built that honest, genuine relationship. Or maybe, who knows, maybe a job will appear later on that you wouldn't have had otherwise. It's it's a careful balance. And I think with reporting, it's it takes time. I mean, how, was it like two, three years before you felt like you had a kind of wide base of people to talk to? Like how kind of long before you felt like, all right, I now have a good established uh, number of people I could talk to to make sure I can uh, get multiple sources per story so I can make sure this is not just a rumor? Uh, I mean, honestly, like I, I never feel content with the amount of people I know and the, the type of people I know and what they do in the industry. I always want to keep expanding that. Uh, I said, or I would say that I felt comfortable with reporting, um, reporting stories about three or four months into doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there were some stories I felt that were were too bigger for me and are too big for me, and I, I didn't have the proper sources to source them out. And even today, there are some that I like really have to go out of my way for days to try and get the information. And usually, it it cracks, and I can figure out. You know, maybe I heard this rumor, and then it takes another turn, but I finally figure out what the truth is. Um, takes a lot of time, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, I feel like. Um, I feel like it's very important to never be content with how much you have. Uh, you always, and I think that's true for everything, including whether it be a source network, whether it be your career. Uh, never be content with what you have. Always aim for higher. Uh, and even if you fail, then you're you're like pretty much guaranteed to get back up and keep doing a better job yeah. and learn from your mistakes. So I think it's really really important to always shoot for higher. And I think I'm, I'm never been, I've never been content with the amount of people I know. And I'm always trying to expand my network and know more people. Uh, and yeah, I mean that, that comes with respect from multiple angles and comes with stories that I would have never thought about hearing or anything. And, uh, it's, it's really been quite the pleasure. So, and we both work in industries where like acceptance doesn't exactly come easy. It's uh when you when I come to someone and say like, Oh, I, I write and review video games, they're like, you what? Like that's not a real job. Go find, you know, go go do something else that makes more sense full time. And you write about, you know, competitive gaming on a network that is very focused on, you know, the most like physical, athletic basketball, football and stuff like that. And it's so established that I would assume every time there is a tweet from, let's say, the main ESPN or Sports Center or some sort of post on the main site, there's a lot of people who just immediately have that gut reaction of, what is this doing? Why is this on my ESPN? Why is this here? Does that attitude ever bother you? I know, again, you've had to have gone through it for a long time where you see that reaction and you've probably grown a pretty thick skin, but have you seen a lot of that since you made the move to ESPN and is that something that at all gets under your skin? Uh, so people that just like don't understand esports and immediately want to insult it, they, they really don't matter to me. It's not like I remember, uh, remember the faces or remember the names and like let it get to me. It's honestly like, uh, and I'm not sure because there are some things that in my career I've obviously had people say stuff to me that I'm like, wow, that, that like, that kind of stings. And, uh, I have to figure out, you know, are they right? Should I fix this? And have to really check myself. But, uh, 
in the case of people that just don't understand esports and immediately want to insult it because uh, they don't get it, I that doesn't bother me at all, really. So yeah, I I would assume at the start, my like, yeah, you definitely have some moments where you like ask questions about that stuff when you see it, but after a while, there has to be a moment. I mean. Uh, again, I'm a big MMA fan, and um, when that stuff started to really get covered on ESPN, the exact same reaction would be there, where people would be like, why is this not a real sport? What's this doing here? And I think initially, even though I wasn't covering it, seeing that stuff would bug me. and be like, what are you talking about? It's not a real sport. But after a while, you kind of just, you get over it. Uh, and ESPN's not the only site that's really focusing on esports. You look at Yahoo, Michael Martin, who I think is a friend of mine, great guy, been on this podcast, uh, is doing fantastic work over there. And they're really taking that stuff seriously, and they're making that effort. I mean... Is this, again, how exciting is this for you to see it taken this seriously at multiple sites? And do you think this will lead to even greater opportunity? Do you think there'll be more and more jobs opening up as people continue to cover this? Yeah, I mean, I think I think everybody kind of wants a piece of the pie right now. Uh, and I think that it's a good time to get in. I think that esports is growing properly mainstream now. And I, I see sites all the time, even those that haven't announced, that really want to do something in this. Um, it is affecting a little bit. Uh, it, it's affecting some of the smaller sites that did this genuinely from the get-go. Um, a lot of people, like myself, were hired up to bigger sites from smaller sites like Daily Dot. Um, and, oh, you know, you see people like Tyler, my colleague, got hired from The Score. You see Michael from IGN and Travis from GameSpot and uh, all these various different people that were working in different places in the industry. Um, and my hope, uh, I've not really seen... I've not really seen a lot of new people at that, at those sites, and I mean, it's sad because I'm pretty sure GameSpot's kind of dropped esports since Travis left. But yeah. I'd love to see some of these smaller, um, I'd love to see some of the smaller sites really craft people that are that are able to, uh, like move on in their career and and join bigger sites and do a really big job. Uh, it was something that was very instrumental to me at Daily Dot is that I was basically, you know, trained on the job and uh the experience I learned there has helped me kind of made the per- or made me into the person that I am at ESPN and the job that I do at ESPN. And I hope that continues. I think it's very important to give people uh the smaller opportunities, especially in startups. Uh startups are great uh for people who are wanting to start out or like people who are recent college grads or whatever your situation is. Um startups are a great place to start. Uh, and smaller companies in comparison to big media companies are a great place to start. Uh, but, you know, to answer your question, I'm really excited and I do think this is the proper time, uh, for a lot of these outlets, whether it be Turner or Yahoo or ESPN. I think this is the proper time to get into everything and I'm very excited to see that everybody is getting into it. And the thing is, is esports is so young. If one succeeds, they all do. So, um, if one person does a great job, uh, then it everybody it allows everybody else to to try and do the same. I talked to Phil Kohler recently, who uh, started was a big part of starting the Rift Herald, which looks more like the human element of these games, of the the stories behind the people, and the crazy things that happen compared to straight reporting and straight covering the events. Is that something that you find interesting? That uh, of course you know your focus is reporting on the news and what's happening in these events and the shifts and you know power of these teams and stuff like that but do you think there's still a lot of room for people to take this human element of it to tell the stories of these teams that maybe someone's not directly interested in how uh, someone played dota how the exact strategies and how this person won but instead 
you know, how this person got here, how they started and uh, what they're doing now as a person instead of as a strategist in this game. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's I think that's great. Uh, and I think that my colleague Tyler uh, Fion is one of the best people at doing that. And so I'm, I was very keen on working with him because he's great at that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, on the topic of the Rift Herald, I think that people like Pete Volk, I know who is one of their head editors for the for the Rift Herald. I like I think he's a really great guy. I got to meet him when he was strictly SB Nation before the Rift Herald was launched. Um, and I think that telling people stories is very important in esports. Uh, so, you know, I believe that there is a lot of room to do that. I think that certain people do it very, very well, and they, they have a really good grasp on esports, but also have a very good grasp on what they're writing about and how to present to an audience, uh, whether it be my colleague Tyler, whether it be Kelsey Moser, who I think is someone that uh, is heavily underrated, even though a lot of people sing her praises. I still think she's very underrated, uh, especially to the mainstream consumer of esports. Uh, Emily Rand is another that comes to mind. I mean, Thorin is one of the people that really popularized that, right? Like, that's that's something I think that that part of journalism uh, and feature writing is just incredibly important. Um, and I think that it's it's something that the people who are best at it are going to continue to rise in the industry. And it's good to see people like my colleague Tyler really get the opportunity to do what he likes to do. Uh, and he's great. I've, I've, yeah, I mean, I can't sing his praises enough. And I thought he was great before he was at ESPN and he was at the score and I was at Daily Dot. And when he moved over, I was happy for him and, I'm very glad I get to work with them now. So, um, yeah, I mean, I hope I hope we see more and more people try and do that. But it's it's very important to kind of get an inside look and do like interviews and stuff like that to get the proper information um, instead of just rewriting a wiki page, right? Like yeah. you have to be you have to do it very well. But there are people like Kelsey and like Tyler and Emily and Thorin that do a very good job at it. So. Um, yeah, I think it's a very important part of uh, what our industry requires is uh, from the media. So, is that breaking news though still what is most popular in the space? Like, have you found that the most read coverage are the things where something big happens to a specific player, or a specific team, or at a specific event? Do you think that still kind of reigns supreme? Mm, that's a good question. So, in terms of viewership, I can't say on behalf of ESPN because I honestly don't know. But I know that at other times that breaking news is very important to a site's growth, uh, especially as a, a proper, you know, as proper media and a proper coverage site of whatever you're covering. I think news is a very important part of it, even if it's not breaking, uh, even if it's daily news. Like, I think the Score Esports and Daily Dot do a very good job at this because they have a bigger staff than a lot of people, actually. Um, but they do a really good job at literally anything that's newsworthy. If it comes out, they you see them rewrite it like an hour later or less. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's very important to have that. It's very important for the audience to be able to come to your site and figure out what's going on that day in esports. Uh, and I think sites like that do a great job. Um, and it's something I, I want to do more, and it's something I always try and do when I'm not super busy with trying to break my own stuff or being an, be an investigative reporter. Uh, and it, it's something that I do do uh, pretty pretty often. Um, but no, I think breaking news... Uh, I think breaking news is extremely popular and goes over super well no matter what it is. Um, but I will say that it's sadly it's popular with the reader. It's not popular with the journalist. Yes. So um, 
it's actually pretty difficult. There's not many people that do it, and uh, in the industry, like behind the scenes, a lot of people disrespect it. So uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, the reader wants it more than anyone else, and at the end of the day, my job is to cater to the reader's uh, likings and to give them what they want to read. Um, so kind of have to brush brush off all the other stuff and the negatives behind the scenes and uh, kind of tread on. So. I went to school for traditional journalism, so if there's one thing I respect, it's someone who can actually like find a good story, get the right sources, and report on it. Like that's way more difficult than I think a lot of people in this industry give it credit for. Um, it's not of- just reading Reddit threads, which is what a lot of people say. <laughs> well, case, for some but- reporters, it is, and those that's the kind of news I don't want to read, where you just repurpose a Reddit article or anything like that. That's not what interests yeah. me. It's the it's the real homegrown things where you go behind the scenes, you find the stuff that other people can't find. That's that's what interests me, but. You know, I guess news in the modern age of Reddit is an entirely different discussion. Uh, you went yeah. to the international <laughs> for ESPN, which for people who don't know is a massive event. So, I mean, I mean, again, for, for the people who aren't really deep into this industry, can you kind of describe, you know, what the international was like, what it's about, the, the crowd there, and even like the prize pool, which is massive? Yeah, so it's a $20.7 million Dota 2 tournament, or it was 20.7 this year. Um, is that the biggest pot so far? Yes. Okay. It's, it's the largest prize pool in all of esports. Gotcha. Um, so pretty big deal. Uh, basically it's a, it was a competition where, um, it was a competition where you had teams gather and compete, uh, over one week in, in group stages. And then the next week is the main event where it was, uh, bracket stages, double elimination. Um, best out of two teams in the world from China, Korea, uh, Europe, uh, mainly Eastern Europe and Germany, um, and then a few U.S. teams as well, and then uh, one Southeast Asian team if we're not counting Korea. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a really cool event. Uh, it was something that I originally wasn't supposed to go to and ended up going to anyway. Um, and it was something that I was really really happy to be a part of and get to experience Seattle and see so many of the industry folk that I knew. Uh, and get to see them again in person. And yeah, a lot, a lot of good came out of the international for me, but it was, it was a very cool experience in the key arena, uh, in Seattle. And yeah, it was, it was great. I really enjoyed it. So what exactly was the coverage then you did for ESPN? Like what were you, were you writing up like mostly recaps or was there anything else? Were you interviewing a lot of people? Like what were you exactly doing there? So we had Tim Lee and Eric Van Allen, um, who are two of our writers, uh, two of our freelance writers, they were doing the recaps, uh, and then they did a few analytic things as well. Mainly my focus on coverage was interviews, and I still have a few that I did there that will eventually come out that are more uh, evergreen, so basically they can come out whenever and they'll still be relevant. Um, but yeah, the majority of my stuff was was interviews, uh, audio to text, so... But, you know, Dota 2, everyone talks about that. When I, when I think of esports, it's one of the first games that comes to mind. But of course, the yeah. other, you know, there's League of Legends, there's, there's Street Fighter, there are, there are other fighting games and everything like that out there. Are you seeing any interesting trends in the games being played? Like, are there games that are starting to decline in popularity that, you know, someone outside of this, like me, don't really notice? And are there any games that are coming up that you see could be a contender? Is Overwatch something that gets a lot of popularity or is that different because of how you know, I, just I, is that something that works in this space? What are kind of the games that are dominating and coming up? Uh, yeah, so Overwatch is definitely one of the ones that is coming up, and Blizzard is full on supporting that game. So I think that a lot of things will 
uh, happen in the future, like leagues and stuff. Uh, honest, like we just saw the first big Overwatch land. There's been a few small ones, but we just saw the first big one uh, this weekend at uh, the Atlantic Showdown at Gamescon, uh, ran by ESL. So I think that Overwatch is going in the right direction. Um, and then I think that uh, I think that other games are are very interesting. Um, I think that FPSs are on the rise, especially Counter-Strike. I think Call of Duty's having a bit of a moment as well where it's growing. Um, not exactly sure about Halo. Uh, it's interesting. Um, weird. You'd think that would be a big one, but yeah, I haven't really heard... Very, I mean, again, I'm outside of it, but I still feel like I haven't really heard much about Halo at all. Uh, they recently this year launched a competitive league, kind of like the LCS, but it's basically for Halo. Um, and I'm not exactly sure how I like that yet, but... Uh, you know, Halo, Halo in general, like console FPSs are always going to have a more difficult time, which is weird considering you would think that a lot more people would have consoles. But, uh, no, I mean, Counter-Strike is, Counter-Strike is growing. It's going through a little bit of a rough patch right now with all the gambling and all that stuff that's been thrown out in the, uh, in the open. Um, yeah. for the better, in my opinion, I, I think it should have been thrown out in the open a lot earlier. Um, but, uh yeah, I mean Overwatch is is coming in. League of Legends is taking a little bit of a hit because of Overwatch. Um even though they're not the same genre and uh yeah, so we'll see we'll see how it affects the scene. I think Overwatch is for the better though. So. Is is Dota a more popular competitive MOBA than League of Legends in the esports space like in the professional space because I feel like in terms of like kind of casual popularity a few years ago i feel like league of legends was way past dota and then dota started to catch up is it now that dota is kind of seen as the premium competitive moba or is league of legends still the king of that no it's still league of legends league of legends is giant uh both casually and competitively i would say the top three games right now are league of legends first counter-strike second and dota third um that that's about right sometimes counter-strike and dota one does better than the other on a certain weekend, but yeah, that's that's about the makeup of the scene. Is top three is League, Counter Strike, and Dota. So, what do you think makes League of Legends stay in the top spot? Why do you think Dota hasn't been able to uh, overtake it? So, I think that League of Legends is actually a lot easier for uh, a newbie to kind of come in and learn the ropes. Um, I think that it's a much more simple game, uh, which it is, because uh, there's not things like denies and there's uh, there's a lot less that you have to manage in League of Legends, even though it's still a lot. Um, so I think that League of Legends has an easier barrier to entry. Um, I also think that League of Legends caters in certain countries better, uh, cough Korea, um, because uh, Dota doesn't have servers in Korea anymore. Yeah. Uh, because it wasn't popular enough for Valve to continue that project. Um, so yeah, I think I think that League does a better job at reaching the viewer. I think it has an easier uh, barrier to entry, and I think if you watch a game of League of Legends and you want to play it, then you can sit down at your computer and learn it, learn the basics of it in a few weeks, um, and it doesn't take nearly as much time. I think Dota. Uh, okay, so Kelby May, I don't know if you're familiar. He is, uh, he works at Good Game Agency, which is owned by Twitch, which is owned by Amazon. Mm. Uh, but Kelby is very involved with, uh, Alliance and Evil Geniuses, which are two giant Dota teams. Uh, Kelby said this the other day, um, at the International when I got to see him. Dota is a MOBA for MOBA lovers. And basically what he means, if you understand the genre of MOBAs, and you understand the basics of MOBAs, and you really love MOBAs as a genre, 
the game that you are most likely to play is Dota. It is more complex, it is better looking, and overall, I think it's a better game. But, I think that League is easier to understand, and I think League caters to every gamer a lot better than Dota does. So, yeah. Will we ever need a League of Legends 2? Is that something that would ever make sense, or at this point, can they continue to just update this, add new characters, tweak that, tweak the balance, you know, do whatever they want there? Like, is there ever going to be a point where they're like, all right, this, this kind of frame we're using is now so outdated, we can make something that looks better and is, you know, more modern, or does that really matter? I don't think we'll ever see a League of Legends 2, but... You know, maybe, but I think that they can continually update as they do in gameplay changes and then every few years update graphically because they completely updated everything the end of 2014 uh, because it used to look really old and now it looks pretty modern. Um, They did a complete graphic overhaul, uh, whether it be characters over time. There are still a few that look really old, uh, but they've done characters over time. They did the entire map over again, all the monsters like Baron and Dragon, all the jungle camps. Um, I don't think there will be a League of Legends 2, but I think that they could actually make a fighting game. Um, Because they recently acquired, I want to say it's Radiant, but they acquired a fighting game studio. And why acquire a fighting game studio if you don't have, like, you know, if you don't have the ambition to make a fighting game? So, um, I know they were, at some point, they were considering making a card game based off League of Legends characters, uh, similar to Hearthstone. Um, and that fell through, that project fell through, is my understanding. Um, but I could see, I could see a fighting game coming out. Like, they did buy a fairly good developer. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's totally possible. So, um, that would be interesting because we'll you already see. have this base of just so many characters that so many people who play that game are familiar with. And while it would take you know an extensive amount of work to translate that into a fighting game that makes sense, I mean, you could almost make like just all this stuff based off of this property. And I don't know, like you said, the card game fell through. Was there a reason given for that? Because of course, it's it's difficult to just say like, okay, go make Hearthstone, but with League of Legends. Like that's not an easy task. But because of the the success of that, is that something they might still be looking at to make another card game? Uh, I don't know actually. Like it, they never publicly said a reason why it fell through. But it's my understanding, like off other people's reporting and looking at their patents and everything, that it's it's pretty done. Like they did aren't going to pursue it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I just looked up the information for the studio they acquired. So the studio that they, um, the studio that they acquired is Radiant entertainment and they built the fighting game rising thunder. And they actually work, they're working on a game called stone hearth, which is to my understanding, a building blocks game like uh, Minecraft. So, um, riot acquired that and, uh, Rising Thunder is, they've ceased development on that, so maybe there will be a League of Legends fighting game in the future, who knows, but wasn't they did cease development on their big fighting game. So. Wasn't Rising Thunder the Seth Killian game? Yeah. So oh, okay, Seth, that, oh. Yeah, oh, so Seth, Seth and uh, Tom and Tony Cannon, Cannon are all now affiliated with Riot, so. So that, yeah, then there's definitely a lot of opportunity there. That could be massive. Um so a lot of the conversation we've mentioned that esports is still new, and it is new. Like that's important to note with this. There's still a lot of growth and a lot of things to happen. Uh, from what you've reported on, what you've seen, who you talk to, what's the sponsorship and management situation like? I mean, a lot of a lot of people who get into esports are, of course, young, and a lot of this stuff hasn't been fully established yet. The standards of how this works, uh, the exact you know ratio the management gets, and 
you know, what sponsors are getting in. So you're, when you look at like the NFL, NBA, stuff like that, that's been established for a while. There's kind of a, a shared lexicon. There's, there's a shared understanding of what that is like. Is that something that is still like, has anyone been taking advantage of and like that got outed? Like, what is that situation currently like? It's actually improved a lot over the past year because you have people that uh, are genuinely good people at heart um, coming into the space and uh, some of them with money behind them, which is great. A good example, uh, in my opinion, and this may be a little biased, I apologize. <laughs> um, Noah Winston from Immortals is one person that I think is uh, genuinely considered a good person and uh, everyone in esports really likes him and they have a Counter-Strike and League team um at the moment hmm. and uh you know he came in and got backed by a vc firm that has the owner of the memphis grizzlies um the vice president of lionsgate entertainment and lincoln park and a few others so that last uh, one was random wait what yeah yeah, yeah. like lincoln park <laughs> band. um so they they have fun immortals and uh it's good to see that um you also have people like Energy Esports, which uh, the the main guy that runs Energy is the um, he's the chairman of Energy's and a, a co-founder. He's also the co-owner of the Sacramento Kings. Um, his name is Andy Miller, and uh, they do a lot. Shaquille O'Neal recently invested in them, as well as Alex Rodriguez and wow. uh, Jimmy Rollins. So um, they have pretty big sports investment. Um, and so you see people like that coming in and, and doing a good job. I mean, Rick Fox came in at the end of last year. Um, and Rick Fox's model is a little bit different because he's not very hands on. He's hired people to be hands on in Counter Strike and League and, uh, his fighting games and everything. So his, um, his kind of the way he runs everything is a little bit different. He appointed a CEO that used to work at WB Games, Jace Hall. Um, and yeah, so management is improving. Um, there are still smaller organizations that always take advantage of other people. Um, but it's, it's improving and that's not occurring as much at the top level. Um, and it's slowly starting to decrease, um, in the secondary level of like challenger series and, uh, counter strike, like second leagues and stuff like that. So, um, it's improving. It, it's still got a long way to go, but I think that, uh, it's taking a step in the right direction. So. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of this, you know, is taking a step in the right direction and has a long way to go. And you look at something again to bring up the UFC. They, they were growing, they were getting more mainstream, and then you know the Fox deal happens, where like suddenly they're on Big Fox and they have more exposure. The Reebok deal happens, and there's been numerous issues with that, but it at least gives the sport this more like mainstream. Uh, we're now more recognized. We don't look like NASCARs when we're out there with all these like sponsors all over us and. Uh, the, the drug testing policy and a lot of stuff like that where it, it keeps taking these steps that this new sport explodes. There's a lot of weirdness in between with, you know, where's it going to fall and now it's reaching this point. So big question. I mean, by, for esports by 2020, which is again, a massive question four years from now. Like, what are some of the improvements you really hope to see to make this, uh, not future proof, but even more mainstream and even more set? Uh, and set up for kind of consistent growth? Mm, that's a good question. Now, I think the path that we're on with new ownership and everything coming in is good. Uh, I think that esports will grow to the point where 
Uh, Turner won't be the only TV league, and I'm not saying that like I'm in the know of any of that stuff, uh, yeah. especially at my own company because I don't do anything with TV. Um, but I'm I think that more people will take a look at Turner and TBS and what they're doing and and try and do the same. Um, I think what ESPN has done with fighting games and Heroes of the Storm is great. Um, in terms of uh broadcasting it, so like Street Fighter Five at Evo, um, that's what I'm referring to. But mm-hmm. I think that. Uh, I think that more people will try and put it on TV. I don't know how that will go personally because I feel like esports is all about having it here and now, which is why YouTube and Twitch are such a big thing because you can go on Twitch at any point and you usually some kind of see some kind of esports competition. And if you don't, you can go on YouTube and find bots. Um, so I think that uh, I think that it will be on TV more, but I don't know exactly how that will work. Um, and how that will go. I think uh, E-League got a lot of good reception from the community, uh, even with some of the stuff like the Luminosity and SK situation, which made a lot of people angry. Mm. Um, even then, I think that uh, I think that TV will have a bigger part to play. I mean, we're going to see Overwatch on TV. Uh, E-League is doing that later in the year, which is pretty cool. So I think that TV will embrace esports more. I think the Main Street audience will embrace esports more. Um, and I think that we will continue to grow. I mean, we're already selling out Staples Center in less than 24 hours. So uh, that's <laughs> that's good signs. Um, I think that esports will continue to grow. And I think that uh, generations to come, younger than myself and even younger than that, uh, I think that more and more generations will... Uh, accept esports as something legitimate, and I think that that's very important. So I think by 2020, I think esports will um, be well over the one billion dollar industry mark because we're pretty close to it now. I think it's this year or next year that we break it, or predicted to break it at least. Um, so I think maybe we could even be close to two billion, if not over two billion, um, by that time. And I think that esports as a whole will just like just continuing to grow. I, I mean, I can't say that I can see into the future and we'll see. I think that esports will, will grow so big that, that we, we have to start making changes to like stadiums and things like that. Because I, I think that at this point we're getting to the point where like the demand is so high to go to an esports event. Like, uh, I, my colleague Darren Ravel said that one of the most, uh, search, or the most searched uh, tickets on StubHub were League of Legends World Championship Finals tickets. Man. So I think if the demand is that high, then the supply is going to have to increase. Um, so we'll see We'll see how companies handle that. But I think, yeah, I think that if we're selling out, uh, you know, the World Cup Stadium in Korea and selling out the Sable Center already, uh, then we have a lot to grow into. So, and maybe even create. So, um yeah, it's it's interesting. It'll be fascinating we'll to watch, absolutely. And even for someone like me who I, I don't watch esports very often, if at all, something like Overwatch being on TV would fascinate me. I'm just completely invested in Overwatch right now. And to see the highest level of play on that, to see these strategies they use on a game that I'm familiar with, like who knows, maybe that's the catalyst. And as more of these games become popular, as more options are out there, I think there'll be more and more situations like that with people who are kind of outside that bubble, finding catalysts, finding different kind of... Uh, gateways to get in and then maybe that'll spread and I, I it's it's going to be fascinating to watch I, I there was definitely moments early on with esports where you don't know like is this is this a fad or something that's really going to hit and now it feels just secure and with where it is and 
something that will be around for a long time. Uh, Jacob, thank you so much for stopping by. I feel like at this point you were the 1099's esports correspondent to make sure I know <laughs> what the hell I'm talking about with this and understand where this is at. Uh, if people do want to find you on Twitter or your work in general, where's the best place to look? So work is ESPN.com slash esports. Uh, and then my Twitter is Jacob in Wolf. Um, yeah, if you search Jacob Wolf, I'm pretty sure I'm the first result. So, uh, yeah, you just have to look in the right place. Great. And so. again, it's been cool watching you go from the Daily Dot to ESPN as soon as I saw that happen. I'm like, that's a good get, and I'm excited to see where this goes from here. So, congratulations. Uh, fun to watch. And thank you, everyone, for listening, and hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099. <laughs>